octalkradio.net. Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, thank you. And we want to make sure you knew that Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has two meanings in the business world, and this show looks to explore those two areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, representatives from all types of industries. And when I'm out at networking events, industry conferences, all types of different places where those people are, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and learn some practical advice that will hopefully impact your own career or your company in a positive way. Before I get to my guests today, Katie Moore and John Cecil, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions to our guests via Twitter. Hopefully try to stump them or get some great advice that you've been uh, dying to find uh, an answer for. You can tweet them uh, or tweet your questions to us and we'll ask them by tweeting it to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget, you can listen to our show or any of our past shows via our podcasts on iTunes or Android. You can also subscribe to have them sent over to you every each week as we post them. We now have a little over 4,500 people that have subscribed to the blog, and many, many more have listened in. And we really appreciate everyone for their support. With that said, let's get today's show started. Again, my guests today are Katie Moore, Director of Recruiting, Recruitment, Marketing, and Technology for CICI International, Inc., and John Cecil, President and Co-Founder of Innovative Media Group and Oculu Video Solutions. John will be joining me in the second half of the show. So let's get started with our first, de- first guest. Katie, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on today, Chris. I'm excited to be here. So I had the opportunity to do a little pre-conference or pre-radio show uh, intel with Katie. We had lunch in Washington, D.C. a few weeks back um, when I was there uh, accepting our award for the Inc. 5000 um, award and uh, got to know a little bit about you. And I think the audience will be excited to probably get some of the feedback and answers that you're going to give us today. So before we get into the real depth of it, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your company, and the current work that you're doing at uh, CACI International Inc. Sure, absolutely. So as Chris said, I am the Director of Recruitment, Marketing, and Technology for CACI, so I'm on our talent acquisition team. 
And CACI provides information solutions and services in support of national security missions and government transformation for intelligence, defense, and federal civilian customers. So we're actually based on the other coast, on Arlington, Virginia. However, we're in 120 countries around the world. We employ over about 15,000 people. We've been around for a while, over 50 years. We were founded in 1962. Um, I joined CACI, or CACI, in June of 2010 and have had the privilege, really, of defining and evolving my role ever since. So in my 20-year career, I've been both a recruiter and a marketer, and now I get to enjoy a career where I get, where I get to do both. So I manage our mobile careers and our social media marketing strategies, our interactive digital media, our career site, the SEO of our jobs, our candidate experience, and that's just a few things. Just a few things, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you've cloned yourself a few times. That that sounds like a lot. I I wish I could. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So CACI is a large global company, as you mentioned, being in over 120 countries. What do you see as your biggest challenge you know, for your position specifically as a director of recruitment uh, and marketing and technology, what's, what's really the main thing that you think that you is your biggest struggle that you really have to work on every day? Well, we're always looking for the best and the brightest talent there is to support our customers. And as a government contractor, we're often vying for the same candidates as our competitors in the same space. And I'm looking out my window right now, and I see three buildings with three different competitors' names on them. So that gives you an idea of really how tight this market is. So differentiating ourselves from our competitors is really what keeps me up at night. So I'm constantly looking for new tools, new marketing ideas, new creative ways to attract their attention, get them to listen to us, and really to help have them hear the CACI story. So ultimately, my team's goal is really to help talent understand how they can fit into our culture and really make a difference in the work that they do with us, not only for our customers, but also for the security of the nation. And that really speaks to a lot of people. So in order to do that, I keep up with trends. I read blogs. I read LinkedIn Today, recruiting websites, Mashable, really anything related. And I really try to do this the first hour of every day. And I think my team knows I don't schedule anything before 10 a.m. because really what I'm doing is reading. So I think everybody knows how quickly things are changing and evolving in marketing. And you blink, and there's another avenue to reach people, and I just need to know what that is. So it sounds like a big part of your role is to attract the top-tier candidates to your company through those different marketing tools. And really, as social media has become more, a more utilized entity. In your opinion, how has that really, how has the has that recruiting field changed now with social media? Oh my goodness, there is so much noise out there. It's it's hard to get through to people. You know, candidates and really all of us are bombarded every day with emails, LinkedIn emails, phone calls, even job alerts that they set up themselves. And that's not just for the active seekers. Imagine those passive seekers who aren't even out there yet. So it's easy for them to tune it out, just like you and I get different shopping emails, and here's another sale. You know, we, we kind of just, we again, tune it out. So the key is to make sure our marketing efforts are really as targeted as possible. So not only to attract, again, those, those actively, but those who are, who are passive, who are sitting in a building right now, they're kind of happy, but, you know, they'd really be interested in talking to you at some point. So we've got to get through to them. So Speaking of social media, LinkedIn is by far our number one social media recruiting tool. And I I think there's definitely room for growth in Facebook and Twitter, and we're even looking at Google Plus right now. 
but we do utilize a lot of the, the LinkedIn talent solutions. Um, so just to give you an idea, I don't know if you've seen these yourself, but imagine you're an engineer and you open up your LinkedIn profile to, to look at your news feed, make some updates potentially, and a banner ad pops up saying, picture yourself working at CACI with your picture and a direct link to an engineering position at my company. So it's extremely powerful to have that type of targeted marketing tool at our fingertips. Um, but not only, not only that, our recruiters have had to change quite a bit as well because not only is recruiting changed through the digital marketing options that exist now, but recruiters have had to change because it, it really used to be, you, I know you've heard this, post and pray, right? So mm -hmm. post the position on a job board, wait a day, choose the top five candidates, interview, and then you're, you're, you're on, the, on your way. But now recruiters really have to be marketers themselves. So not expect that that top candidate, again, that person who's sitting in an office and is happy, is just going to apply. So they've got to source and find them themselves. And to do this, they really have to be as up-to-date on trends as my own team does. Well, you, you kind of described two polar opposites here. One is there is this whole place where you can do maybe something even more powerful than you could have done 20 years ago or 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. But at the same time, you have all the noise out there at this, you know, that people are dealing with. So maybe you can do that banner ad. Maybe you can get someone through LinkedIn that you never could have reached in the past. But at the same time, there's so much noise around them, you're hoping that that message gets through. So has it become more of a challenge to grab the top talent out there, or has it become easier in some ways? has become more of a challenge, and I think you're exactly right. Those, those two opposites are, are, are there, but they're there for a reason. I think you've got to market in so many different ways now to get to that one thing that's going to resonate with that particular candidate. So uh, what we do is spend a really good deal of time making sure our employment brand tells the CACI story, and we focus on those sources that have worked well for us. So we've put a good deal of time and effort into tracking those sources really with laser-like precision in order to make sure the best decisions about where to focus our efforts and our budget are, are being utilized. So, um, so yeah, it is definitely more of a challenge. And I think it also kind of goes back to basics. You know, I mean, I think I'm seeing a shift a little bit. We've built this great ecosystem and this, this digital marketing, but becoming a little bit more personalized, again, back kind of to that picture, I think is really important right now. So you mentioned LinkedIn, and maybe this would be the answer, but uh, what have you found to be the most effective tool to use when attracting that top talent or, or getting top talent to at least, you know, come into your company's pipeline? Is it LinkedIn or, or is there some other secret there? Um, I, actually, I don't think this is probably a secret, and I think this is probably the case for most companies, but really our number one source has traditionally been employee referrals, and that mm. still is the case. You know, I mean, employees like working for CACI, They'll refer their friends and their colleagues to join us. And, I mean, you know, the notion is software developers know other software developers. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting now is that we know that our employees' networks are four to ten times as large as our recruiters. So we're using those networks, and we're rewarding our employees with bonuses for bringing that top talent to us. And we've had great success with that over the years. The other effective source for us are our veterans. We have had great success over the years in hiring veterans, and nearly 20% of our employees are veterans, which makes for a very strong network of people 
who want to see those transitioning military service members succeed in their next career outside of the military. So we've got a strong veteran hiring program. We also have a program that focuses on outreach to veterans with disabilities. So um, through employer referrals, through our veterans hiring programs, we've been very successful with those. But beyond that, kind of getting back to that digital ecosystem I was talking about that we've built over the last couple of years um, in making our recruitment marketing work for us has been very valuable. So through SEO efforts, through automatic job distribution, we've actually placed tags on all of our jobs to ensure that the candidate source is accurately captured in our ATS, and the candidates actually can't even select their own source. So we've, we've put a good deal of time into that to make sure that then the analytics that we get out of all of that data um, have allowed us to, to really look at, again, our sources. We've been able to drop some job boards and some job postings and place that money into other sources that work better for us. So having that, that big data at our fingertips is, is extremely invaluable. Well, I know that, you know, I, I've had companies, you know, ask me, you know, how can they get top talent? How can they get to bring these people in? And it's interesting how companies that are already doing very well that are bringing in top talent one of those tricks that they're always mentioning, which you mentioned very clearly, which was employee referral. The problem is, is that it, it's it's sort of like you know those on the top stay on the top because if you're already doing a great job, your company's already uh, leading in its industry. It you certainly can find a lot more people willing to bring in great talent that they know of because they feel good about your company, because the story's there, because they're being treated well. Um, and I think it's the companies that fall below that tier that maybe are striving to be a lot like CACI aren't getting there because the top talent's still kind of going up to the top, kind of being siphoned up to the top. So it can be a challenge for a lot of companies. But I think the second thing you mentioned is the biggest area where people can really find growth and find great people, and that's through veterans. Partly because there's so many of them out there. There's so many that have come back from service uh, now that we've started to scale down some of our wars, uh, politics aside. And also because of the sequester as well, the budgets that have a lot of people who are working in those industries are now looking for more jobs in the private industry. And so there's a lot more of that talent floating out there uh, waiting to be picked up that maybe didn't have a traditional role like, like you would normally pick them up. They didn't have a traditional engineering role, but they did in, in the service. Is it, are you seeing that as well? Absolutely. And I, I think the key there is to identify the right roles for these folks, you know, taking that non-traditional candidate and morphing through training and mentoring and, and those types of, you know, real strong um, performance management techniques and getting them into roles where they can really be successful. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I learned about you when we had lunch a few weeks back was that not only are you in this HR and recruiting field, which was very much in line with our show, but you also kind of filled in the category of our of our second types of guests, which is that entrepreneurial role. And for a long time, you, you were running a fa- family business, the Observer Newspapers. You know, how did this experience of kind of directing this company really help to shape the leader you are today? Well, the experience of running a business and actually, frankly, closing that business has given me a perspective that I carry with me today that I really wish everybody could have. And it's sometimes it's difficult to put into words, and I get pretty emotional about this because I'm very close to it. But 
Um, I was really an accidental entrepreneur. Um, my husband worked for my parents for years, which is actually how we met, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> um, and all of them were journalists. So when my parents were set to retire and it was time for us to take over the reins, I, I was a bit hesitant. You know, I had my own career as a recruiting manager, and I didn't really see what my place would be. But my gut said something. It was It was something deep down that I knew I should try, and I really was ready for a change. So I learned as I went. I reached out to fellow business owners. I attended every Chamber of Commerce event I could. I read, read, read. My husband and I joked that in the eight years we owned the paper, we both got our MBAs. And I don't have a piece of paper to prove that, but I don't really think I need to. So I, I took advantage of every networking opportunity I could, and I asked for help. And that might actually be my biggest piece of advice. And there's no shame, only admiration in asking for help. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing when I talk to these business owners who have run these very successful business for years, and a lot of them in my parents' generation and my parents' friends, how much they were willing to share with me, you know, every mistake they made, how they got over it. And I made mistakes along the way, but I also had successes. So in the end, I really wouldn't have changed anything. So as a leader today, I really just try to encourage my employees to do the same thing. Try it. See what happens. If it doesn't work, you know, what did they learn? What would they have done differently? And talk to people. Ask for help. And, and above all, just be curious and read. Read a lot. Yeah. So it sounds like you may have had some good uh, mentors in your life. So who or, or what maybe had the greatest impact on your personal leadership development? I have had, yes, many, many mentors throughout the way, but there are two that, that really rise to the top for me. And my, the first one is my mother. Now, of course, she, she was our advertising executive at the newspaper. I learned everything about advertising and marketing I could from her. But you have to picture her. She's 4 feet 11 inches tall. And she could sell an umbrella to a man on a sunny day. So she, she's amazing at what she did. And what she really taught me was to, to not only make that sale, but to care about the client, you know, to understand what their needs were, to help them be successful. Why, why would they advertise in this newspaper? And she, at the end of the day, wouldn't sell them an ad if she didn't think that it would help them. So I, I really learned from her how to build those relationships and to, to care about, about my clients. And my second mentor was, was my former boss here at CACI, um, who has taught me really how to question everything, to not settle for the status quo, to dig and dig and dig until you find the answer, and to never give up. I, I always call her Scrat from, from Ice Age, you know, that little squirrel that yeah. looks for the, for, the, <laughs> for the acorn and doesn't give up until, until she gets it. She's like that. So, um, and conversely, what I think is really interesting about her is that she listens to me and she learns from me, and I think that's so important to, to recognize that we never stop learning, you know, and she never thinks that she's at a point where she has nothing left to learn, which I so appreciate. So, um, you know, you think after running your own business, you think you've done it all, but not really. So th those two definitely stand out. Well, you certainly have the, the heart of an entrepreneur then because that the idea of learning, of always trying to learn more, get better, ask questions, ask for help, is something that only successful entrepreneurs do. It seems like the, the, the rest that crash and burn, I don't understand why things aren't working, try to do it all themselves, don't ask for help, but, you know, don't reach out and, and find that solution that they're looking for. So, But one thing that entrepreneurs run into sometimes is that there may be a skill that they realize all of a sudden that they're not so good at. 
I'm sure this happens. This happens for everyone. Um, anyone in, in, in a big role, whether you're the head of the company, uh, you're helping the company, recruiting for the company, whatever it may be, that maybe you're not so good at and that you need to work on it. It's a big part of your job. It's not something you can delegate away. Have you ever had that situation where you've identified something about yourself that you needed to work on to really be successful? Oh, absolutely. I'm a naturally creative person, but not technically savvy, which is funny when you think about the fact that I manage recruiting technology for my company. But um, this is kind of going back to when I was a recruiter. I used to ask candidates, pretend I know nothing about Java development. Explain it to me in layman's terms. And that's really kind of an old recruiter trick and how you learn what you needed to know in order to adequately assess a candidate. Mm -hmm. So each interview I would have, I'd add that much more to my bank of knowledge. And I've utilized that technique, I think, throughout my entire career, and it's proven to really help me gain the insight and the knowledge that I've needed in order to accomplish my goals. And I really, I say this all the time to my team, we're all taking this class at the same time, you know, again, kind of going back to how quickly things change. We have to recognize that and to never stop learning. So they're moving at the speed of light. So the trick is to surround, and this is how I've done it, to surround myself with the right people. So I have a tech manager on my team who I frankly think is pretty brilliant, and every day he teaches me something new. And I've gotten to that point where I no longer have to ask him to, like, pretend I don't know. You know, we work together as a team to figure it out. So it's, it's having those, those people around you who can help the entire team succeed. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and one of the other things that you mentioned um, earlier was getting your kind of a unofficial MBA while you were working with the newspaper and really trying to read a lot. So imagining that that habit has stuck with you. Maybe you can share with our our listeners, this is one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, what are you reading right now? I actually just recently finished Catherine Graham's biography, which is called Personal History. And Kay, as she was known, was a member of the Graham family who owned the Washington Post. And for some reason, I never read this when I owned my own newspaper, and I think it was probably just a little too close to me, I guess. But Kay came from a family of immense wealth but knew nothing about running a business. And after her father died and then her husband, she took over the reins of the post with very little confidence, frankly. And she learned as she went. She failed. She succeeded. She asked for help. She asked for help from presidents, which I've never had access to for the record. But um, she she really spoke to me, and I really identified with her and was humbled by her, her realness. So that, that book was it was, it was fantastic. I would absolutely recommend it. So uh, getting in maybe into a little deeper into your daily work, the things that you do, I'd like to maybe kind of spend a moment here and talk about your creative process. This is a question that comes up a lot from for entrepreneurs and CEOs and, and those people in HR that are always looking for something new or a new trick or a new idea, uh, as this can be a challenge within their organizations. How do you brainstorm effectively with your team or you know, how do you get them to think creatively uh, or get others, you know, to think creatively for you? I think this is an evolving area for me as a leader. Uh, right now, it's not a very scientific process. I throw out ideas. I ask for ideas. I've asked my team to come to meetings with one new idea every week. Sometimes they flow and sometimes they don't. I, I recently saw a presentation on stage Um, by Eric Wall, who is an amazing graffiti artist and corporate thought leader who published a book called Unthink, Discover Your Creative Genius. And this is on my nightstand for my next book. 
he, to give you an idea, he painted a portrait of Bono live on stage to U2's song, Beautiful Day. It was pretty incredible. But he talked about how if you ask adults if they can draw, nine out of ten will say they can't. And if you ask preschoolers, every single one of them raises their hand. So what happened to our creativity between, say, age four and 40? You know, why are we so self-conscious? And my executive coach here at CACI has helped me with that a little bit recently. He runs an improv class at work to help employees unlock that part of the brain that really kind of holds them back. And he gets us prepared for public speaking. And I think it's brilliant. So I'm going to be doing more of this with my team, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what that does to our creative process in terms of speeding things up a little bit. Well, improv is certainly a, that's a great idea because accessing that ability to be able to think on your feet, to be able to even, uh, well, BS for the lack of a better word, when you need to. I mean, just being able to hold yourself, come up with an answer, come up with something that is fluid and cohesive. You can say you don't know, that's fine. But to be able to, to work through what you know and what you don't know in a way that you can still keep your feel like you're, you're yourself, you feel like you're still being uh, true to the company and the message and, and have that confidence that you need. And that, that I haven't heard that before, but that, that's a great tip for anyone out there that can do that. Uh, maybe improv's a, a class on Wednesday at 1 o'clock after lunch or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, it really is about helping you trust yourself, mm-hmm. trusting that you're going to come up with something because you know what you're talking about. Right, right. Yep. What advice do you have for our listeners maybe looking to develop the talent they have? You know, how, how do you think they get the best out of each person? It really comes down to understanding your team and understanding the person. I don't think you can manage everybody the exact same way. So it's, it's trying to help unlock that passion in, in that person for what they do. You know, asking them, are they proud of what they did? What would they have done differently? Allow them to think for themselves in order to grow. And, you know, recently I was gone for a week attending a conference and had to let a few things go back at work. You know, I couldn't be there to manage them, so I had to trust that my employees were taking care of it. And really everything went great. There were some mistakes made, but I think it was a good thing. I needed to step back and let things happen sometimes in order for that growth to occur. So I learned a lot through that process, and I think that, again, just kind of getting back to trusting them and and managing managing to their strengths. Well, Katie, you've been a wonderful guest, and I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, hopefully you can come back at some point and uh, give us an update about what you're doing and, uh, and how things are going, and if you have uh, more revelations or tips, or uh, you can let us know how the improv is going. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So the final question I have for you is how can people get a hold of you or learn more about uh, CACI International if they're interested? I'd absolutely like to have everybody check us out at CACI.com. We also have a company page on LinkedIn as well. And then for me, you can reach me on LinkedIn at Katie Moore at CACI International Inc. Wonderful. Again, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. And up next, John Cecil will be our guest after this quick commercial break.
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit AXPGOLD.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at AXPGOLD.com. And now back to Chris and his next guest. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab and, of course, clicking on Talent Talk. In the short time we've existed, I think we mentioned at the top of the hour, we're well over 4,500 subscribers, and we also appreciate all of you listening in live today. My next guest, John Cecil, president and co-founder of Innovative Media Group and Oculu Video Solutions. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now to John by sending them to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So tell us about yourself and your companies, uh, Innovative Media Group and Oculu uh, Video Solutions. Yeah, I guess you can say I am in the online video space. Uh, we, I, w- I was an ex-Yahoo back in the early years of the organization, and we I got into the video production business for the web and mobile media at the time. Mm-hmm. So we uh, own a lights, camera, action production company that produces video for the web. And early on uh, in the organization, we learned a, a huge disconnect, and that was getting completed videos to our customers' websites and getting them live. Mm-hmm. Long story short, we developed a software platform, which is called Oculu, and Oculu serves the videos for our customers. So okay. we do production via Innovate Media, and we do delivery and serving through our, our, our video platform, Oculu. And I've seen uh, at least some of your videos. Uh, Lisa Gallagher, who has also been a guest on this show at the Breeze, I know you did uh, help her with some of those. Those turned out yep. really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it sounds like you're doing good work. Yeah, yep. 
So, you know, being in the media industry, you've undoubtedly seen a lot of changes since your company's inception, I think it was about 10 years ago. So how has technology really changed your approach to business? Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, obviously we're going to hold the, the video torch. And so I've seen, you know, video change businesses in how they communicate not only to their customers, but communicate internally. So mm-hmm. uh, video is a big part of it. But but definitely, I think the biggest change since we started the business 10 years ago is the whole online collaboration space. Mm-hmm. So like we use a product like, like that's called Basecamp, where we mm-hmm. basically work through projects all online. Right. Um, it's very sort of intuitive. Uh, there's records, and it really helps sort of management of products, projects, and different things connected to that. Yeah, it's a great service. Basecap can really help people with their projects, task management. You bring in a client, let them see those notes on that particular project. Uh, we've seen that be a big help yeah. for a lot of companies. Yep. So what's been the biggest challenge in hiring and developing your key organizational talent, you know, as you dealt with the technological advancements at the same time? Sure. I mean, I we have problems with sort of upper management, uh, new upper management mm-hmm. not necessarily being as, as tech as they need to. Okay. So then you have the sort of the younger population that is very tech, but they don't necessarily have the business skills or the upper management skills. So it's really, you know, the challenge is finding the mix of both, that mm-hmm. someone is uh, very sort of technically inclined. Right, but also has sort of leadership and business analysis skills so, like that. So they, they've gone, they, they've gotten their MBA or gone to college, but they're not walking around with a trio. Right? Yeah, and you know, <laughs> you really need uh, you. You know, the worker is a guy now that has his computer and knows mm-hmm. how to do everything. There's no longer, you know, I need this guy to do an Excel spreadsheet for me or. Right. I need her to do this or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the you know what we really look for as a ta- from a talent standpoint is someone that can do everything, and essentially their their laptop or their computer is their sort of mechanism to be successful within our organization. Right. And hopefully they come to us with those skills. Mm-hmm. So you know, as a CEO, uh, you know what have you had to do or what have you had to do from a direct. Uh, you know, in hiring managers to do in regards to making sure you're able to hire that top top talent. So, you know, really make keep them from looking elsewhere. You know, how, how do you really foster that and kind of keep that going? Well, I mean, there's there's the compensation side of it, and we're mm-hmm. we're entrepreneurs and we're startup guys, so we we definitely try to uh, entice top talent with you know options or or some sort of ownership or or some sort of you know, stake in the game. So, sure. so most of our employees do have some some sort of you know stake in the in, in in what we're trying to do or what we're trying to accomplish. So, I come from a smaller company mode where I'm able to do that, and I haven't worked for a big company for a while. So, I think you know from just the onset, we're th- that's the communication we have when we're trying to get you know good new talent and also young talent. It also helps to give them sort of some stake in the businesses. So you recently published a, a book called The Online Video Revolution, How to Reinvent and Market Your Business Using Video. And it's, uh, you know, for those of you listening in, it, it's not a uh, small book. It's a decent-sized book here. It's not like one of those little PDF, uh, you know, self-published yeah. things. Yep. This, is, this is the book. Yep. Um, can you can you maybe summarize what's the general idea, what, what, what you want people to get out of this book when they read it? Yeah, I mean, it's really directed to the marketer, and it's 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 talking about, you know, we are in the middle of a revolution on the web, 
have you from a text-based medium to a video-based medium. So it teaches marketers how to use video to communicate their messages, um, where it, how this has started and where it's actually going mm-hmm. to, to be able to um, sort of compete from a marketing standpoint. The bigger picture is, you know, companies used to have video when they had television commercials. So television commercials were obviously the mechanism to serve video. Mm-hmm. And with that, larger budgets sort of helped with the media buy. But you no longer need to buy media to have a video communicating your business. So the world is wide open now where you can have you know a video when someone gets to your website to communicate what you do, things kind of connected to that. And, you know, just to summarize in the book, we have proven and we have shown a video increases conversion. So someone is more likely to fill out a form, buy a product, do whatever you want them to do on your website if you have a properly executed video. And the book sort of goes through uh, those activities for for the marketing community. Okay. Earlier you mentioned uh, kind of being a a, a Yahoo. uh, I think you meant uh, with the company. Yeah, right, working with, yeah. with with Yahoo. Yep, mm-hmm. and I know you've also worked with A and E, Lifetime, Comcast, uh, more. So, how did all of these positions really help to shape the leader you are today? Yeah, you know, in the organization you're working for now. I think it's you know, in summary, it's big company, small company. So, uh, working for big companies and going through that experience, learning how big companies work, the politics, all of those kinds of things, mm-hmm. has really helped me as an entrepreneur has really helped me starting a business starting businesses i don't think if i didn't have that experience uh i would be as you know somewhat successful as i am right now so i I just think that anyone and we talk to to people entering the workforce and interns or whatever and we i give them the option it's like this is a small company that you're going to work for and you should work for a big company at some point so you just understand how that mechanism works. Mm-hmm. So back to me and my career, working for those big companies has really helped me sort of to effectively manage what I'll call a small business. We've had past guests really kind of articulate that maybe the large company gave them the, some of the education they needed on how, how to f- focus in on things and how to proceed with things, maybe the level of... Uh, articulation the things needed to be done but then they came away with some of those good things right but put away some of the bad things with maybe the politics yep maybe yeah. that lack of mobility uh-huh. and some of the, is that kind of what you're yeah saying? and to flip it would be interesting too i think some of the things i used to do that i work for a big company now that i have experience working in a smaller environment would have really helped me uh to the small business experience to help me be better uh, within the bigger organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, silly stuff like I used to send out FedExes when I was with A&E, for example, and I, I didn't even associate a cost with it, right? I would just send it out. So uh, it's an example of just understanding, you know, that costs money and costs this much money, and mm-hmm. maybe you do two-day or right. maybe you mail it or <laughs> maybe you email it, right? So things like that. Little things that you learn mm-hmm. from, you know, complementing what you're saying. It's neat that you can look at it from the flip side. Small, small company bringing experience to, to large organizations as well. Yeah, there's so many books I've read where people talk about culture and they talk about comp- employees really being passionate about what 
your company's doing and about their job. Because if they're not, and especially the large the organization gets, those types of things you mentioned, like start sending things one day overnight, priority by 8 a.m., right, for $88 with yeah. FedEx instead of sending it two day for 20 bucks or yeah. whatever. Or I have an example about... Uh, fighter pi- or uh, pilots in uh, commercial airplanes, you mean like slamming on their brakes the wrong way on purpose to like waste all the fuel, right, when they were mad at the organization. Yeah. There's yeah. just so many examples of how people can spend so much money to try to get right. at the organization when really they're not getting their point across. Yeah. It's just costing the company a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, you're right. That's interesting. When you, If you could go back, maybe you wouldn't want to go back to a big company, but if you ever did, some of those uh, right. realizations would certainly be there. And the other funny thing is, some of the looks I get from some of the younger people within our organization of when I'm pulling the FedEx thing off of the rack and slashing the two-day thing or whatever, they right. they kind of laugh at me. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they get it yet. Right. So okay. hopefully they will. Probably. Not. I actually tell them. I explain right. well, to them. Explain it to them. They get it. This costs money. Right. Yeah. It costs money to send these things. Money, like real money, not yeah. your parents' money, but right. real money. Yeah. <laughs> So is there one or two people that you might identify that kind of helped develop your leadership style and abilities? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's been multiple people along the way. Um, You know, certainly some of my, the upper management within the Yahoo organization really sort of helped me out. Um, I think Yahoo gave me sort of um, the direction where I kind of wanted to go from a tech standpoint. I was in a I was at the TV business, and I jumped to the Internet business, and so this has really become my career. So, uh, you know, along the lines, it's been sort of the leaders with the different organizations that have worked for that, that have helped me out. Mm-hmm. Just as kind of a little bird walking here, but how, how do you think Yahoo's doing now? Maybe as compared to when you were working with them. They've certainly been in the news a lot with the changes that have been going on yeah. and some of the things they've been trying yep. to pull. You know, how, how are you viewing that from the outside now? So I was there in the 90s, so the late 90s. So okay. I left around 2001. Um, Back when they were cool, you mean? Yeah, and the company <laughs> just got, the company, frankly, got arrogant, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it sort of missed some, some great opportunities. I mean, Google didn't right. really even exist when I was there. Um, but what they're doing is, you know, the, the word on the streets, I mean, people want to work there now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's definitely going after the mobile space uh, with the organization. So, and, you know, I go, I don't know if it's because I work there, but I still go to Yahoo every day for my news. You know, I have an email account. So they are positioned to, you know, to really be a neat player in the space. And I, I'm, I'm actually you know, still kind of bleed purple a little bit. So I'm right. pretty happy that, that the the organization is, is turned around. Right. And I don't think it's just fluff. I think they're actually doing some really, really good things. Yeah, well, it's good to hear because, I mean, I know they made some real big waves when they decided to bring all their virtual people back. Yeah. And they were kind of promoting what we kind of thought was a little bit of maybe not quite so true reasons because we we're actually almost a completely virtual company. Uh-huh. And so when they were saying, well, you can't collaborate or it's hard for people to do these things together, we're going, "Wait a minute." Right. <laughs> we do that every day. Yeah. And actually we find it easier when we get on the phone and say, "Go. We have 1 sure. hour. We're going to do it." Instead of everyone piling around the water cooler and it's a little bit more gray and things yeah. run in, there's distractions and you know, we we find it more effective. But of course organization isn't any, anywhere near as large as Yahoo. Right. So And it's kind of ironic that, that she took that stance and they're trying to they're a young tech company or right. in a sense. So but you know, I think 
I think actually they have a problem uh, with the whole San Francisco valley thing and the commute and i i think it i don't know i think it got a little bit out of control of people staying in the city right and not coming to the mothership i don't know i'm just kind of guessing yeah what that was all about and and it's a good way to uh wipe the books clean to maybe some people you don't want if you know they're not gonna come back in you know i mean it certainly sparked some interesting debate right (laughs) but there was probably a method to the madness i mean like she probably had a Oh yeah, yeah. We, we, I, that's what we felt like. There was something else going yeah. on here. Then, yep. you know, you can't collaborate virtually because right. yeah. we knew that wasn't true. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, getting back to you, you know, how do you uh, encourage others who work for you to really develop the own talent they have, you know, so they can do better work? Yeah, I want everyone to be able to do everything, and there's a few guys in our organization that do that. And so I really point to those guys and say, hey, look, this he is an expert at all of this stuff, mm-hmm. and you're really good at this one sort of, I don't want to say linear, but a few of these linear activities. Really learn how to you know, match what he's doing and know everything about everything. Right. Um, I just think that's just so important for someone today in the workforce to not be specialized, but just to understand how to do everything and be... Is self-sufficient. That, is that kind of important for your culture now, as given the size you are? Because that doesn't seem like a goal that could really be, you know, if you ever were to be as big as Yahoo, let's say. It's not really something you could probably translate at that level, but do you think it's just important because of who you are and the size you are right now? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. It's also, ironically, something I learned from at Yahoo, mm-hmm. coming from the TV industry where I had a you know, assistant and people to do different things that I didn't know how to do. When I got to Yahoo, you had to do everything on your own, just mm-hmm. little stuff like PowerPoint and doing your own presentations. And and so I, I culturally learned from that experience that, that sort of, again, my laptop is my desk and I need right. to be proficient in everything. And I've tried to sort of encourage um, that to different people I've either worked with or you know, I'm I'm in, in business with. Yeah. I mean, certainly learning more things, being more adaptable, and having the ability to jump in and help on projects makes you a more viable person within the organization. One of the things we sometimes talk about, though, is that, is that sometimes it's really good, though, if you're really not, if you're not good at something, <laughs> to not be doing it. Because there are those things that all of us are not good at. So, you know, how do you deal with that? Do you, do you I mean, if someone is obviously not a good presenter, let's say... Yep. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it's fine, they can put the PowerPoint together with the presentation. Sure. But, you know, I mean, do you, do you find that there's allowances there? Well, I, I mean, so we have, you know, we do with, with Innovate Media a lot of, you know, uh, creative stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And definitely, you know, put the creative guys in, in one pod and they're good at this and they're not good at that. So when I when I talk about doing everything, it's being sort of more, I guess, self-sufficient from a tool standpoint okay. versus a... Uh, being good at every single thing because I, 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 you know, I don't think it's possible for everyone to do everything. Right. That's that. Yeah. Yeah. It's only, it's an interesting dynamic that you bring up because I think we've really transformed as a workforce to expect people to be able to do a lot more things, walking in the door than maybe in let's say in 1995. Right. Yeah. Yep. Like I mentioned, PowerPoints and Excel and all these things that now you kind of. Everyone had to upgrade their base level skills. You couldn't just come in and say, I'm a salesperson. 
I'm a salesperson who can also do Excel. I can use a computer. I can do all these technological things, and I know how to connect with people. Yeah. You know, so it's, a, it, it's an interesting point on how, how much the workforce sure. has maybe changed. Well, it's like, I mean, it's the whole, you know, receptionist thing, or I'm going to have, you know, call whoever and set up an appointment. I, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if that really exists as much anymore. No. Yeah. So yeah. I think. There are some people who have assistants, but most people I know, I, I use a little, a little link in my signature thing. It says, click right here. They can go into my calendar. They can yeah. create a, an right. appointment when it's convenient. I don't have to go back and forth. There's no scheduling. It's yeah. Just, they pick it. We're done. Sure. Yeah. Technology's gotten rid of the reception. It's getting to the point <laughs> where you can really tell if someone that you're either working with, I'll, I'll say that you're working with, if they're not very technical. Right, right, and, it, and I think it po- probably affects them, uh, you know, in business if mm-hmm. they don't have all this stuff figured out. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you know, uh, one of our favorite questions on the show because we, we learned so much from it, uh, we love to ask people is, "What are you reading right now?" I just got back from Chicago, mm-hmm. so I'm reading. It's not a business book, it's "Devil in the White City." I don't know. Have you have you read that? No, no. Yeah, it's it's pretty. It's interesting. So it's it's the story of the the World's Fair. I think it was in 1895 or whatever, mm-hmm. and it follows the path of the architect that um, put together the World's Fair. But he also was very influential in the building of Chicago. Right, and all the architecture there, yeah. Yeah, and simultaneously, and the, the names of the guys are, are escaping me, but simultaneously there was a serial killer mm-hmm. that killed dozens of people during the World's Fair, right. and it follows these two guys through their lives and how they sort of intersect during this two-week period, uh, and, I mean, they never met, but they're, they affected each other. So mm-hmm. it's called Devil in the White City. It's actually been out for a while, but it's a pretty good read. You know, it doesn't always have to be a business book. I think people find a lot of inspiration and yeah. you know, interesting things what other people are reading. Yep. Um, so I was on a business trip in Chicago, and my mom made me go on that architectural tour through the, the river. I've, on the boat? Yeah. Oh, I've done it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I never do those things, and I did, right. and I was very glad I did. And then the 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 driver, the guy on the boat, mentioned this book. The captain. The captain was what I was looking for. <laughs> and so this book was an extension of that tour. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty it's it's well done. It's certainly a good book to read. I know another good book people could pick up was, of course, your book, Online Video Revolution: How to Reinvent and Market Your Business Using Video. And certainly, the video medium and and, and telling your story is very a very creative way. Uh, for people to be able to deliver their message. But how do you kind of get the most out of your own creative process within your company and the brainstorming with the team? Do you have any tr- kind of tricks or tips that you use to do that? Yeah, I mean, just typical. We all get in, the, in you know one room and kind of go through the projects and throw out ideas and then take that sort of uh, face-to-face sort of interaction and, and bring it online through our collaboration tools. Mm-hmm. So do you find that that's... An, free enough environment because you're, you're always going through those things that people can can give you their best ideas or do you have to kind of do anything sometimes to re- get them to to not filter themselves too much yeah i mean you i think you just i you know have to s- step back and let people kind of come up with their own ideas give them the opportunity that you know they can't say anything wrong they can't fail things along mm-hmm. those lines and create an environment where it's okay to do that right which can be tough yeah 
I yeah. mean, uh, some maybe maybe a little bit better in, in a creative environment, like we have to constantly come up with new ideas or new things to do. But we goes back that, to the small business, big business thing, right? right? So, like, I think there's a lot less of uh, fear and politicking and all that in a, mm-hmm. in a, a startup business or a. But you know, obviously, it always exists, but a lot less of it versus a larger organization, right? Where there's hierarchies and things kind of connected to that right and sometimes kind of a buffer or filter in, in, in someone's way for their own career path yeah you had the kind of the gamut of, of different types of companies uh, that you've worked in so from your perspective or what, maybe what advice you can give our listeners looking to develop the talent they have how do you think people get the best out of each person I think just you know I think developing the best talent is you know just giving people the direction of, of where uh, I think or I am like pointing the market to going so you know for example uh you know technology or internet if i ever meet sort of someone young that is sort of trying to figure out what to do for lack of a better term I, i'll point to the changes that are going on within the web uh within marketing or media and say you know if you learn how to do this or whatever this is going to be a very important uh skill set mm-hmm. so i encourage people to get in, involved in skill sets that potentially could be the future of sort of media or the way things are viewed on the web or things like that. So you can look at skill sets. You can look at where, you know, jobs are going to be created and what's going to be really in high demand. You know, I remember there was times when the news would say, you know, nursing is going to be the, you know, 100,000 nurses will be. I mean, so there's a level of you can go where, the skills where the jobs are going to be needed, right, for the future. But there's a level of passion that has to be involved in there, too. Yeah. So what's the balance? I mean, how much passion do you think people need to have about either what they're doing specifically or the company that they're working for specifically to really be successful in the long run? Yeah, I think both are key, obviously, mm-hmm. to an extent that you can create that for yourself. But you brought up a good point. I mean, you have to be passionate about not what you're doing, but like the company you're working for as well. You right. know, I think you have to be very passionate about sort of the direction of the business, where it's going, uh, who you're working for. I think that is as important as being passionate about, you know, linear from a linear standpoint, what you're actually doing in your in your job. Yeah, and we, we've seen some examples where it can it can be either or. Uh, sometimes it seems like maybe people, people lower on the totem pole. It's more about. They need to appreciate and have a, some level of passion for their company, but oftentimes it's, they really enjoy what they're doing specifically. And, and maybe as you go up higher on the totem pole, it, it starts to, to change, right? It starts to become a lot more about the company because maybe they have more invested, right. as you talked and about. it's not as much fun. And it's not as much fun. Yeah. Yep. Right. So the, the decisions they have to make, the responsibilities they have, they better really love and really yeah. believe in the company right. that, they're, that they're working for. I mean, the whole thing, you know, love what you do and you're never going to work. You're in the day, right. Day, which is which is true. Mm-hmm. But at some point, it's, I don't know, I envy the people that have created that for themselves. Because at some point, I think with any career or job or whatever, there's yeah. stuff that you don't want to do. Well, John, I really appreciate you being on the show today. You're a great guest, and hopefully you can uh, come back and give us an update uh, about your companies and what you're doing. I'd uh, love for you to do that. But uh, before you go, how can people reach you if they're interested in learning more about uh, your company? Yeah, two websites, InnovateMedia.com and Oculu.com, O-C-U-L-U.com. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, again, thank you for being our, our guest today. That's about all the time we have. 
thank you to Katie Moore also, who was my first guest. Tune in next week uh, at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for a Talent Talk brought to you by People G2. To hear John Montaneo, CEO and president of NC4, and Laura Niebauer, CEO and founder of Deliver It and Directory uh, for Every Athlete's Dream. Boy, that's a that's a long company name. I want to ask her about that. I want to add that to our list of things to ask her about. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. www.peopleg2.com.